0: The Puritan's Guide to Fall Song's Guide. Start modernity, modernity. Just in modernity. Tonight's song is... Come to from the we are discussing tonight's shoulder pads... Uh, from the Vol, of course. Um, the initial release was 929, 29 1986 uh, September 29th, 1986 for those outside of the U.S. so numbers don't confuse you. Um, on uh, Ben Sinister, um, it was split over side A and side B. So there was a uh, uh, ben, uh, or shoulder pads one uh, number sign and then... Uh, so one number, and then a, sh- a Shoulder Pads 2 number side. Um, then it was put together um, as the B-side to uh, Hey Luciani, um, and that was known as Shoulder Pads 1B. So uh, tonight joining us, uh, we have our third guest uh, on the podcast, and it's Trevor. And Trevor is kind of running down uh, fall songs in a giant Twitter thread on – uh for mentioned twitter so uh he was the one who who picked shoulder pads for us tonight uh so trevor thanks very much for being on the show and uh yeah wherever you would like to start with shoulder pads we'll go with that
1: well thanks for having me on guys i'm like super excited to be on a fall podcast i was really like excited to discover you guys existed like going through the discography, like I just I, I wanted to spend any time I wasn't listening to the fall, listening to like people talk about them and, you know, just to continue learning about the band. So it's I was very yeah. pleased to find something like this exists.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: Yeah, One of these days we'll advertise. <laughs> yeah,
1: shoulder shoulder pads is a cool one though and I think like you know doing my research on Ben Sinister and reading reviews of it it seems like it's like a little bit of an underrated one like it was Ben Sinister was the first uh, album that I got to while tackling the entire discography in chronological order that I had oh. never listened to before oh. as a fall fan like I first got into the fall back in two thousand. 18, I think it was that was the year Marky Smith died right 2018 That sounds right yeah yeah
0: yeah. yeah so
1: I, I first got into the fall back in 2018 because uh, uh, in my when I'm not listening to the fall I host a podcast about the band the animated band gorillas yeah. with whom Marky Smith collaborated back in 2010 and uh, my, my podcast co-host and I had gone to a phase in the show where we were doing track by track reviews of like uh, albums by notable Gorillaz collaborators. And Margie Smith had just passed away. So we were like, oh, we got to do an episode on a fall album. Mm -hmm. So we did like This Nation Saving Grace. And in the process of preparing for that, I kind of like fell down the rabbit hole and (laughs) discovered the annotated fall. And like just became (laughs) really obsessed with the band. And I think during that period, I listened to pretty much everything up to this nation's saving grace before getting like a little bit overwhelmed and deciding like I will put the rest of, you know, the the next 23 or 33 years or however long they kept going after that away for like a rainy day. This way I will still have like new, exciting, fun stuff to get into. And I've finally been doing that mainly due to like, you know, the pandemic, what a better, what better time than now (laughs) to like do a giant discography tackling project like that. And so, yeah, Ben Sinister was the first new-to-me fall record that I've listened to lately. And I had, like, you know, I was a little nervous going into it, thinking, like, you know, up until this Nation Saving Grace, a lot of people, particularly, like, people who aren't necessarily into the rest of the band's stuff, like, people who don't identify as, like, super fall fans, like, I I don't feel like the stuff past this Nation Saving Grace is talked about as much as you know that earlier period so i was a little skeptical that i would end up enjoying it as much as i did and shoulder pads was really like the first song that hit me and made me confident that like i would still there was still going to be plenty of stuff to enjoy on this journey so when it came time to pick a song for this podcast i thought that would be a great one to do what do you guys like think of the song though i mean i've got like other stuff to say about it, but I was interested in your like impressions of it.
2: Uh, this was one that I was really familiar with before we started this podcast, like my um, brother, who was a former guest of the show, uh, you know, we would trade mixtapes back and forth. And I was living here on the West Coast and he was on the East Coast at the time. And so, everyone would have, everyone that he would send me would have a different fall song on it. Just, that's just one of his favorite bands. So, naturally, he would get there. And that one landed on one of the mixtapes. And I was like, this is one of the greatest songs ever. Just that, that, uh, that keyboard line is just insidious. You just can't get away from it. And, well,
1: it's, is it a keyboard and Mark Whistling? Because I know some of it is Mark Whistling. Yeah. That little, like, (laughs) <laughs> it's great. One of my, probably one of my favorite instrumental little things in the band's catalog at least yeah. that I've come across so far. Uh-huh. There's a great quote from, uh, I've recently been reading Steve Hamley's memoir, oh, uh, The Big Midweek.
0: Oh, yeah. like I've read that. It's a good one. Yeah.
1: It's really good. There's a, a quick little paragraph about shoulder pads that I wanted to read real quick where he talks about. Simon Rogers bringing in this, like, large metallic box with, like, a bunch of, like, like uh, like uh buttons and switches on it. And he says, Mark wanted it to sample him whistling. Of all the sounds in the world it could possibly process, the hideous sound
2: of Mark whistling. <laughs> Do we know what that box was? I I'm not just sure. Sampler. Yeah, probably okay. something like that.
0: Because I think, if I remember correctly, like, he's a pretty like he's a multi-instrumentalist right and he was doing like uh sort of sampling and violin playing and a whole bunch of stuff at that time period but it was also really early sampling so right it would have been a giant box with like that <laughs> doesn't look like a sampler nowadays you know what i mean so yeah that makes sense oh yeah i and just I, wonder
2: if it was a, a fair light or something like that or maybe something a little later I, it might have been a little later
0: so if this was 85 86 yeah a Fairlight's still pretty big, isn't it? Or or still pretty new and still and costs like as much as a house or something? You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like oh, I can't remember though. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't yeah. know. Trevor doesn't say like what sampler it is, or
1: no, I don't think it went into specifics about that.
0: Okay, unfortunately. Yeah. no, I'd totally forgotten about that part. Um, so yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, it might be a Fairlight, but you know, like. That was a time period where only people like Peter Gabriel could afford them, right? Or something. So I. So who knows? Maybe he just borrowed it from one of the five people in the UK who had one <laughs> or something.
2: <laughs> no, okay, yeah, I'm 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 doing a little research on it right now, and it looks like by that time they had come up with like the third series of the Fairlight that could uh hold like a three minute long sample. So oh, wow. it's possible okay. that was it. But of course there might have been another, you know, keyboard at that time or some box that uh, Simon Rogers had jury rigged together.
0: Yeah, God, knows? yeah. I don't know. Well if that was a third generation fairlight then that would make sense. Right. Uh yeah. Uh, okay. Well you know, I don't know shit about anything so you know
1: yeah i wish i knew more about like samplers (laughs) and synthesizers and stuff but i just
2: don't yeah yeah uh yeah no go ahead sorry so was that that's like oh you're go ahead trevor please go ahead no go ahead well i was just gonna ask you so that was your introduction to the fall was just through the gorillas record or were you a fan of stuff before that it was
1: through the gorillas like i was the gorillas were a big band for me as a teenager and like uh my buddy and i decided to start the podcast when they like put out an album back in 2016 and i got back into them through that and that led me to like you know recheck out a lot of the collaborators and let me tell you like the gorillas song that Marky smith is on if you don't know anything about the fall or Marky smith that song is like a real head scratcher. Yeah. And like, who is <laughs> this guy? There's also a great video of him doing that song live with them when oh, they yes. headlined uh, Glastonbury. That, like, if, like, as somebody who didn't know who Marky Smith was and then found out and like saw that video and then found out who Marky Smith was and read a lot about him and then returned to that video, it's extremely <laughs> satisfying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> first of all it's a mess of a performance which is like very appropriate and the most exciting part is like about like three minutes in he does what i have learned was like a classic move of his where he just like walks over to the amplifiers and like starts adjusting people's volumes Uh, like which sounds like everybody in the fall would always hate when he did that
2: yeah that's what precipitated the big fight at brownies in like 99 Mm -hmm. or whatever that was and uh It's just he wouldn't stop screwing with the the amplifiers and the drummer's sticks and stuff, and that just, you know, pushed everyone over the edge.
1: I think there's another I think there's another part in uh, the big midweek where uh, Simon Wollstonecraft says like uh, Marky Smith frequently turns off his amps because he thinks it'll make him hit his drums harder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that makes sense.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So how has it been for you going through the discography chronologically? It's been it's been a lot of fun, and I'm
1: really excited to be getting to the parts of the band's catalog that I'm not familiar with. Like, I haven't heard any of the 90s stuff, like, let alone after that. Oh, wow. Like, I recently listened to Curious Orange for the first time. That album uh, rules. Yeah. It's a great
2: album. One of their best. Yeah.
1: Like discovering that there was a sequel to Hit Priest blew my mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah, no, that would that. Th- this is great listening to someone talk about The Fall who hasn't been like returning to them off and on since for like two decades. Yeah, or something. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, and actually, this is like the second week in, or second episode in a row where not only have we picked uh, something from the Ben Sinister area, but where like we had someone new to the fall come in and like told, you know, or fairly new to the fall come in and start telling us how they felt about the fall. So yeah, this is great. Thank you. I just wanted to say thanks Trevor for doing that. So yeah. yeah
1: well again, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been, yeah, yeah. It, it's been great getting to know like the bands, like l- not later periods because obviously they would like go on for like long after this, but right. this like kind of the end of the bricks era, I guess I would describe
0: it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's no. really like started to recontextualize how I feel about the band because like before this whole process I would have told you that like the early stuff was like the best stuff, but now I'm like finding that these records are kind of like eclipsing even some of the bigger like pre-Bricks ones, like uh grotesque mm-hmm. and stuff, in mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. opinions. Yeah. Like real renaissance for the for the band. So many great singles. I'm surprised this one wasn't a single, really. It is pretty it's, catchy. It, it it's really catchy because of that hook. It just has really good single potential, I think. It's it's really tight song like four minutes it's got a great hook yeah the lyrics are are really good i love whenever mark refers to himself in his songs (laughs) and like particularly the one where he's like he's like watch out here comes marky Smith with shoulder pads right i I love that that's so
2: good (laughs) i'm surprised that that hey luciani wasn't a bigger single for them as well because i think i mean this was the b-side for that so it feels like those two songs clearly go together in that way but i feel like hey luciani was again another great catchy pop song definitely
1: i'm really glad they decided to release a full-length version of shoulder pads like i don't like i don't think i think it's cool that it exists in two different parts on the record but in a similar way to the way they did that with winter i do think it kind of like nerfs the song to some degree Mm mm-hmm like I really wish there was a full length version of the uh, studio version of winter. I know there's the full length peel version, but uh, there's there are parts of the studio one that I prefer to that one, and there are parts of the peel one I prefer to the other one. so right, it's conundrum. this way, I just like i'm I'm glad we have a full length version of shoulder pads to enjoy, even if it was just a b side.
0: yeah well, and it, the the one B version is actually. Longer than both versions put together if that makes <laughs> sense right yeah, so I think it's so slightly out, different they cut out some of the middle part whenever they moved it from one side of the record to the other and just moved it into because I was listening to it today and they moved closer into the end part for the for the second portion of shoulder pads mm-hmm. uh, where he's singing more rather than like the instrumental part so so yeah I thought that was pretty interesting yeah um, yeah, so uh, you had asked where we first heard sh- Shoulder Pads And uh, I bought uh, the B-Sides album like at some point in the later 90s And so that's where I first heard it So I've always heard the 1B version, like the full version um, And always really loved that song too Just be- and Just because it's so catchy And this period of the band is so full of just catchy pop songs um that it's 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 really hard to understand people that don't like it i mean i so i agree with you trevor like i i love the first part of the fall uh i like i love bricks's era. there's i like all the different eras like there's yeah it's
1: it's so hard to choose between like the early like kind of hypnotic velvet (laughs) underground jams And like this Bricks period, like the pop appeal of it, because they really did write some killer pop songs.
0: Yeah. And plus in just every period, there's at least one or two songs where you're like, oh, that's a great song. You know, it's like it's like Kinks albums. Uh, I've been thinking about the Kinks the last week or two uh, where like even after, you know, when they get into school, Boys are in disgrace, or whatever, and in like just some of those 70s albums where there's nothing there. Uh, there's always like one or two songs, you know, uh, that are great, and you can pick them up, pick up the vinyl versions for like a couple of bucks back in the 90s. So, like, that's what I did. So, I, I just think of, I think of, you know, the the fall and the kinks in this in the same sort of headspace basically where they're they keep going and they keep writing songs uh and there's always like one or two great ones on an album no matter what or maybe on an ep or something so so yeah i kind of like all different eras of of both bands so yeah
1: can i ask you guys like a semi-unrelated question that has to do with the fall and the kings sure sure So uh I can't remember when it was, but at one point Sonic Youth put out an EP of fall covers that I think they did for peel sessions. They did, yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah, it's peel session. Yeah. And
1: one of them is Victoria. Yeah. Which feels (laughs) odd, right? And what I wonder is did Sonic Youth know that was a kinks song? Or did they just think they were covering another fall song?
0: Oh, that's a good question. That is a really good
1: question. I, Might be a better question for a Sonic Youth podcast, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, no,
0: no. I think that's fine. I'm, I'm betting that one of the people in Sonic Youth knew it was a kink song at least. I, I mean, they seem they're pretty big record nerds, so that's true. I would say they know about it, um, and probably just put that on there. I, uh, was that Peel session around the time when that album came out, because that was probably in the '80s, right?
1: Oh, I don't, I don't know actually.
2: Let me look that up. It was a little later than that. Um, I would think, and I mean, I—I I don't know if it's because. What am I trying to say here? I don't know if it's because they were trying to fill the space or trying to, um, you know, make sort of a reference to the fact that they were recording this for British radio, and which yeah. they did in 1988 is when it was when it was broadcast on the BBC. And they released a, a an EP with all the, with those tracks in 1990. Um, so I don't know if it, yeah if it was just like a cheeky thing to reference the fact that they were recording in England, and you know trying to connect it with the, these Fall songs to the new, or if it was because you know the only really new three Fall songs. So I'm like, well, we could probably knock out a version of this kink song that we can <laughs> learn in five minutes. <laughs> Right, covering right. a
1: band, covering another band is definitely like a galaxy brain move.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like that, uh, if you know the band Versus, um, like, uh, I forget where they're from. They're New York band. Released a bunch of stuff on Teen Beat, and they put out an EP that was their song called Shangri-La, the cover of the ELO song, a cover of the King song Shangri-La, and then a cover of a song by the Shangri-Las. So. <laughs>
0: Nice. I didn't know that about Versus.
2: Yeah, it's a great EP. I've got it here somewhere in this mess of an office. So, yeah.
0: I'll I'll have to look it up. Yeah. That,
2: that that sounds really great. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, again to get back to this this uh, this uh, journey you're on, Trevor. I mean, how has it been cuz I mean, some of this the earlier Fall stuff is very poppy as well. At least it's at least catchy, if you want to call it that instead but you know how yeah it seems like you've been really enjoying like as they're transitioning into the bricks era when they were started making you know catchier poppier songs that could easily be played on the radio
1: yeah like i said like at at heart i really do have a lot of affection for the whole like you know the concept of like a garage band just kind of like turning up the distortion and Mm -hmm. like hammering on the same chord for like 15 minutes until it like puts you in like a meditative state right but like i said it's become harder and harder to choose between that <laughs> and like just how good all these pop songs are like lately i've just been like putting on that that a-sides album uh, yeah. of all the singles from the bricks era like 45 mm-hmm. 89 or whatever it's called and like you could just run through that thing so many times there are so many good songs
2: yeah yeah i think, yeah. I think it's the first or second fall cd that i owned was that one so i totally <laughs> get what you're saying Um, So to get back into the song itself that we're talking about, Shoulder Pads, uh, you referenced the uh, Velvet Underground a bit ago about the, you know, obviously a clear influence on the band. Um, And there's a great uh, Velvet Underground reference in the lyrics for this one.
1: Yeah, I, I partially chose this song just so we could talk about that that <laughs> anecdote because I think it's so funny and I'd never heard it before.
2: Uh, yeah, I hadn't either, which is uh, great. And I'll, I'll just uh, try to run through it really quickly if you don't mind. Yeah, feel free. Yeah, Go so ahead. so the story, if anyone doesn't know this, is a David Bowie story where he was in America at the time in around uh, the early 70s and was in New York and found out the Velvet Underground was playing a show. And he was a huge Velvet Underground fan at that point. And so he went to the show, was up front, uh, you know, singing along with every word, singing along with every song, trying to kind of show himself to be like, you know, I'm the biggest fan. And got, got himself backstage and got to the dressing room door for the band and said to whoever was at the door, like, you know, oh, I'm, you know, from here from the UK. I really want to meet Lou Reed if you can make that happen. And so they bring... Someone over and, you know, uh, you know brings, brings who he thinks is Lou Reed over. This is, I'm getting to the punchline here. It he brings who he thinks is Lou Reed over, and they have this conversation about songwriting, and it's this beautiful thing, and he's like all starry-eyed and glowing afterwards. And then, you know, the next day he's talking to some folks in New York about, oh, it's the Velvet Show, and I got to hang out with Lou Reed and talk to him. And it was then that, that someone broke the news that Lou Reed had left the band by that point, and he had spent <laughs> about 10, 15 minutes talking to Doug Ewell.
1: <laughs> which has got to be like one of the like the lamest comedowns i yeah. feel like. you, you, you want lou reed and you get doug
2: Ewell. right
1: and i don't know how that impacts the way i feel about doug yule i feel like there's kind of like a a cool aspect to it about like you know just kind of passing yourself off as lou reed with this kind con- of <laughs> like during a conversation with david bowie who's right. not the wiser right but it also like kind of feels like he's like i don't know trolling david bowie yeah. It's like, I wouldn't want to troll David Bowie. Come on, <laughs> dude.
0: Well, I mean, 71. David Bowie. This is before David Bowie was David Bowie, though. That's true. It? Yeah,
1: that yeah. is true.
2: Did Bowie, like, just not know what Lou Reed looked like?
0: Maybe.
1: That feels realistic. I just don't know how he goes to the dressing room and is like, I'd like to talk to Lou Reed, please. And nobody goes like. I'm sorry, Lou Reed isn't here anymore. And how he meets Doug Ewell and goes like, Hey, Lou, nice to meet you. And Doug Ewell just go like, I'm 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 not Lou, I'm I'm Doug Ewell. Right. (laughs) He must have just been thinking like really on top of things, like, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little I'm gonna have a little fun with this guy. Yeah, I'll I'll pretend to be Lou
2: Reed, sure. The skinny dude from England. I'm gonna mess with him a little bit. Yeah. I never I don't know how I feel about Doug Ewell in general. Like I feel like he's not (laughs) quite
1: like on like the Mike Love level, but there's definitely like Mike Love-esque qualities to him. Or I get the impression Mm. like maybe he would still be trying to tour as the Velvet Underground if he could.
0: I think you're Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
1: It's just the fact that he kept it going even after Lou left in the first place. I don't know. Something doesn't (laughs) strike me as quite right about that. Yeah. I like his vocals though.
0: No, I was going to say, I I like the songs he sings on. I've never listened... Isn't there an album without Lou that he did?
1: Yeah, Uh, I haven't listened to that one either. I've heard... I've
0: never heard it. Never
1: heard a single good thing about that album. (laughs)
2: Nor have I. Yeah, I haven't listened to it. I haven't heard anything good about it either, so...
0: Okay. Hey, so I do have one thing about that Lou Reed-Doug Yule thing. And it has nothing to do with Lou Reed or Doug Yule. All
2: right.
0: Uh, I was... So I was thinking, because it's Mark, and because of the time period that it was... uh, Kind of a knock on the New Romantic period, uh, a movement of that period, maybe, uh, or maybe like you know, spandau ballet sort of bands is what I was thinking of because they do because because he keeps talking about people that couldn't tell you know Lou Reed from Doug Ewell. So and it seemed to me that a lot of the, uh, the sort of new romant- New Romantics were closer to say. Bowie, yeah. uh, Then whatever Mark had been listening to, or whatever. And this is just speculation on my part too, but um, but at the same time, like around '86, you know, Duran Duran and that kind of stuff is kind of falling out of favor a bit. So I I don't know if that's true. And he's just specifically wanted to throw in that Bowie anecdote or not there
1: are there are like a there are a couple derogatory references to other musicians in the song like there's that line about the lads which might be a reference to Paul McCartney at one point he says uh rock to them is a talking heads album apparently he's like famously quoted as saying like the talking heads are the enemy or something
0: (laughs) yeah I've heard that
1: uh I'm a big fan of the talking heads but I can I can see Marky Smith not really enjoying
2: them oh yeah yeah
0: well, I, I always think of the talking – I love the talking heads, but I always think of uh, uh, Dave from Paraubu, like, seeing the talking heads and going, oh, we could do that. You know, like, <laughs> telling the other guys in Paraubu, like, what's the big deal? We could do that pretty easily. And then, like, they started doing, like, talking heads-esque numbers. So, yeah, it's, it, it's weird how the talking heads uh, make people angry. <laughs>
2: <for sure. laughs> um, no, I but, but yeah. I think you're onto something there. I think because that's you know the the I mean just you know talking about you know the 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 fashion element of this song and you know calling it shoulder pads and making fun of himself almost for you know wearing them is you know that sort of ties in with the you know the new romantic fashion trend of just looking like these you know uh, wearing blouses with shoulder pads and you know yeah. trying to connect yeah. it to the Bowie era.
1: It sounds like there's like some contradictions as to like what kind of shoulder pads he's actually talking about. Right. Uh, Because I was reading the page on the annotated fall. God bless it for this song. (laughs) And like there's this quote where he says, shoulder pads is just about a lot of different people and why I think they're twats. There's two parts (laughs) to the song, one on each side of the LP. But really, I could have written about nine different songs on that subject. And then he goes on to say, I suppose it's an odd title. It's an American football term, and I can't stand American football. It's so boring and complicated, like a sort of moronic chess.
0: <laughs>
1: but then there's another one from uh, 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 from Bricks. She says, Mark borrowed a shirt of mine that I had borrowed from my mother, and it had shoulder pads in it. This struck me as hilarious. M-E-S and shoulder pads. <laughs> so I don't know which of those two I buy, but I mean, I can definitely see... Mark and Brick sh- sharing clothing during this era.
2: Oh, sure. He was yeah. skinny enough. Yeah, yeah. His yeah. a little guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I also think that. Uh, well, it gets mentioned on the on on Annotated fall about shoulder pads being a superhero costume sort of idea. Um,
2: oh, okay. Yeah.
0: yeah I so think there's, there's the a thing
1: I... that attracts me to this song the most, just this concept of Marky e. Smith as some weird superhero. <laughs> <laughs> He keeps singing about his powers and how they're like half gone and everything, and then they get restored towards the end.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is kind of strange. Like the Talking Heads helped him become a full-on superhero. <laughs> like at that point. Uh, so yeah, it is pretty weird. Um, I mean, I've always thought of the song as about the eighties because it's on the same album as uh, U.S. eighties, nineties, mm-hmm. right? Which is all about. U.S. in the '80s and '90s, um, but it's also on the same album as Riddler, which is kind of about, you know, uh, sort of a villainish sort of thing. Um, yeah, so yeah, Markie
1: Smith's second song named after a Batman villain. The first being <laughs> a Joker, hysterical face.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I, I think that both of those things fit though, and I you know I I think that. For, the fashion fad or the, uh, you know, superhero costume. I think that both work, and I think that throughout uh, Mark's career, double meanings are 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 purposefully used, uh, within a lot of his lyrics. So yeah,
1: like I feel like his lyrics are, there's a real Rorschach test quality to them where like there are multiple interpretations and whatever you take out of it says more about you than it does about the actual lyrics.
0: <laughs> oh, totally. No, no, I, I agree completely. And, and there could like all good writing, there could be three or four things that you, you aren't even catching like <laughs> when you first read it, you know? Um, and so, so yeah, he's, i think he's really great at that and i and i do believe that like it's probably both things and even and having mark explain something you know in a in an interview is is kind of uh you know iffy most of the time because most yeah. of the time he would just be talking out of his ass so you don't you know, feel
1: like you're really getting a definitive straightforward <laughs> no, sincere answer
0: no not at all so uh so yeah yeah i thought that was really interesting as well but yeah i don't know new romantic movement uh i i just remembered them as a kid like i remember all that stuff as a kid um and i know it was like a big it was it was a big deal in england at least and there was a lot of like you know rocker versus mod sort of animosity it seems like i don't think there were big fights between the two groups but you know it seems like there might have been some animosity between the two groups there's another
1: there's a a really good anecdote in uh steve hanley's memoir where i think while they're recording ben sinister duran duran shows up at the studio like the guys who ran it were like giving them a tour or something and one of them asked like Greg Scammon, like, what's it like to work here? And he goes, it's all right, except you got members of Duran Duran coming in and bothering you. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: no, I remember that. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, just because pop music versus underground music, even even if their songs were poppy, uh, The Fall was definitely a little more underground than Duran Duran, although most things were a little more underground than Duran Duran at this time period, I would say. <laughs> So, uh, but but yeah, anyway, sorry. The one, the one thing that always bugged me about this song and I'm just going to throw it out now is why, uh, is the number sign at, after the number?
1: Yeah, it's, that's just, I mean, I write that off to being like, just like a typical, just typical Marky e. Smith fuckery.
0: Right, right. So, like, did Mark just not know where to put the number sign? Like, that's what I keep wondering. And now, like, like I think it came up with Bob's brother at some point with Bill. Like, we were talking about something, and it could just be that Mark uh, didn't know how to spell something, and that's why it, became, it came out that way, you know? So, like, did Mark just not know where to put the number sign, and then it's caused uh, me, like, consternation for... 20 some odd years so yeah i know
1: know he's like a hyper literate dude but i could definitely like if you told me that marky smith didn't really know how to read or write i would buy it
0: (laughs) (laughs) was just like savant genius (laughs) totally yeah totally man uh no i i I can't imagine that it wasn't wasn't on purpose you know that it was very purposeful the way he did it uh but it's always just bugged the shit out of me, and I've never read a good excuse as to why it would be that, other than Mark was just like, "eh, let's change, let's change it like that," or somebody wrote it on like uh, the case that held the uh, master tape or something wrong, and he, he thought it was hilarious, so he decided to leave it that way. I mean, I could definitely see that sort of thing happening too, or something. So, so yeah, whatever. Sort
2: That's of like, uh, sort of like the the zombies uh, having their album title permanently misspelled because of the person who did the artwork didn't right, know how to spell right. Odyssey.
0: <laughs> I forgot about that story too. Yeah. And which is another reason thing I always wondered until I finally read that somewhere where the guy who just who who did the cover just misspelled it when yeah. he was doing the cover. It was like, oh my God. That, that's got to feel horrible at some on some level. but uh,
1: I, I've yeah. definitely gone through phases of being very peeved by intentional misspellings of track titles and stuff like that. Like, I've not been above going into my iTunes library and just messing with the tags to correct some <laughs> stuff like that.
0: <laughs> that's, so I've never done that. I've done things where I've gone in and like taken out very long fade-ins and fade-outs and just chopped them off because it was trying to... Like, especially that first Feelies album, I made a version of my own where uh, I didn't have to listen to all the fade outs and stuff um, because it was driving me insane. Um, so, but, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a little different, but, yeah, it's kind of the same. <laughs> anyway, we should probably get back to shoulder pads. Huh? <laughs> Well, did did you have anything else to talk about, Trevor, on on shoulder pads, or was it, you know just a, that? I think that the only
1: other thing I had prepared is I, I really wanted to read one of my favorite comments from uh, an annotated fall user on this song because you know like so frequently th- these songs really come to life when you go through the comments and see what people are saying about them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So this ahead. was
1: this was posted by Ian Gregg on uh, November seventh, two thousand nineteen. And it is in all caps. Uh, it goes as follows. I always thought shoulder pads one and two were a response of some kind to James Brown's hot pants one and two. Each <laughs> garment the emblem of their respective decades. I think I'm joking, but maybe not. <laughs> Most reads like Marky Smith lyrics in a way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm joking, but maybe not.
0: <laughs> I think that's a very valid uh, interpretation of the whole thing, yeah. actually. Oh, That makes
1: sense. Other than that, I just think this is like a really great solid fall song. It's one of the ones that I think is like, it's very playlistable. It's very easy to put on no matter what mood I'm in, which is not something I could say about every single fall song. Right. Right. I do love them all in their own special ways. And I just, for me, this one will probably be always a, I'll always remember it as an indication of how, of the excitement I felt to be continuing to push through the, already the wealth of material, of this band that I've heard, you know, like from the early days up through nation saving grace, that, that could be any other bands, entire discography. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But with the fall, you get another two and a half, three decades to go through. And I'm excited to be doing that. And. and about, is very emblematic
2: of that. I think.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, and you also get about 20 new bands.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <there's two. laughs> Yeah, I'm really curious to see how... I'm curious to be following you when you get to sort of the post-light user syndrome era of the band and yeah, what you make of that material, especially as he was getting towards the end of his life, like that run that he went on. The much more heavier garage rock stuff Uh that they were doing at that time.
1: I'm definitely looking forward to see how the band develops once Bricks leaves and it becomes really like... Marky Smith in control of things because it feels like even before the Bricks era, like uh, he was uh, Kay Carroll, his girlfriend at the time. Uh huh. Like mm-hmm. judging from the big midweek, it sounds like she had a really kind of a tight control over the band. She had like kind of like a matronly role, and yeah, you almost got the sense that she was th- running things, and Marky Smith was like almost just like her first mate. But with her gone and then Bricks gone, it really feels like. I don't know. Anything is on the table and we could go anywhere now.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I I feel like by the bricks era and beyond, he was really ceding uh, a lot of control about the music to other people at that point, which is why I think once you start getting into past extricate into like uh, the infotainment scan and um, code selfish and records like that, where like folks like Dave Bush are really doing a lot of the musical heavy lifting at that point. And yeah. so that's why, like, the last era of the band, which was one of the longest-running, like, permanent lineups of the group, it was still just, like, this really heavy, all, like, almost aggressive rock stuff that was going on. And I don't think he... I don't think that was that was him. I think he was just kind of, like, letting them do what they want just so he could do what he wanted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he was kind of... By that point, he was just, like, picking and choosing the instrumentalists and musicians that w- could were capable of doing something that he felt like he could do his work to.
2: Exactly. exactly.
0: Yeah. Hey, hey, Bob. Was Dave Bush uh, around for the Unutterable in, in those those albums too? I believe so. He was he what the one doing the electronic stuff. Yeah, on those? yeah. Okay, I, I, I thought so, but I just wanted to make sure. I my brain stops when I get into that <laughs> era, and I never know who was on what. You know, for whatever reason, no matter how many times I look it up. So, uh, so
2: I don't think he because the Unutterable came a little later. Yeah. In the nineties. So Dave Bush was around, I think, let me see here. I think the last one he was on was cerebral caustic.
0: Oh, okay. As far as a studio like record. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then oh. you know and then then Bricks came back around the time of the, the light user syndrome and then left again.
0: Yeah. Whenever
1: whenever a past member of the fall comes back, my like jaw drops. Yeah. That's been one of the most satisfying things about keeping up with the lineup changes, <laughs> which is a lot of work. But it's it's worth it for moments like that. Those I think like yeah. Carl Burns was in the ba- like like joined and left the band like twenty times or
2: something. Something like that. Yeah, <laughs> just couldn't <laughs> I mean, say no. I, I think go the go ahead. I think Brick's returning is probably one of the strangest moves uh, ever. Just uh, like why she was roped back in or thought like oh this will be okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: I I really know very little about her and Marky e. Smith's like initial breakup
0: uh it doesn't sound like it was very good no (laughs) i mean
1: i can't imagine it being so yeah i i'm I'm sure she talks about it like in her memoir and stuff like that but i just haven't gotten around to checking out material like that yet
0: i haven't read her book either
1: no
2: Um, i haven't either
0: i keep meaning to but yeah too many books keep getting in the way um
2: a lot of fall books (laughs)
0: yeah it is uh there is I think Carl Burns is the one that they don't talk to in The Fallen. Like, they they make it kind of a joke about not being able to track him down or something. Um, but yeah, I know Burns coming in and out of the group was kind of a big deal. <laughs> so, and it's always for weird situations. Just like, uh, the big midweek is covers that a lot. I just, I bought... God, back in April, maybe? Whenever the one you know, uh check came from the government. Part of what I used to pay f- to buy myself uh, was the uh, the Paul Hanley book about the recording of um, Hex and Hour. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I got to check that one out, too. It's pretty good. But yeah, the, the big midweek is, you know, there's lots of kind of anecdotes about Paul and Kyle Burns not really going after each other, but just having to deal with the two drummer thing, and then also Kay, like, telling Paul he can't go on tour because he's too young and he needs to stay in school. So they're just going <laughs> to hire Carl back for the tour. Well, he was.
1: I thought. I thought the story was, was he was too young to play like at the at the venues in the United States that served alcohol because he was like sixteen or something.
0: oh maybe that was maybe that was it. And he I couldn't just... get
1: he couldn't get a visa, so they hired Carl back, like presumably right. just for that tour. But then he decided to stick on. And they had two drummers for a while.
0: Yeah, that's I think maybe that's it. I think Paul or Paul or somebody makes probably makes light of it by saying, you know, they couldn't have him there because Kay was always telling him to go back to school or something. And I I don't know. I can't remember if it was in the big midweek or, or something else that I read
1: yeah I, I do remember reading something similar to that about them wanting him to stay in school and stuff yeah stories about yeah. him taking his exams in between band practices and stuff
0: yeah exactly which is just that's that would be great like if he were 16 and in the fall no matter how horrible it was and like being able to uh to, to work with him or whatever, you know, like, I, I don't know. It sounds like, like it would
1: stress me out too much, you know? Like the, <laughs> oh yeah. I'd be trying to study and I'd be like, I gotta, I gotta hit all those notes right at the show later or else <laughs> work is going to slap me after the show.
0: Right. I, I, I would have done it in a heartbeat. That would have been great. So yeah, it was only high school. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where are you right now, Trevor? Uh, with your fall listening, I haven't really checked Twitter in a, in a couple of days, so I wasn't like sure I said. What, so
1: I, I just listened to Curious Orange for the first time the other oh, day. Okay. Really been enjoying that record. Uh, so like, I'm just wrapping up the Bricks Era stuff. I did want to ask you guys more, uh, or I wanted to ask you guys as more seasoned listeners of the band if there was anything you think I should like particularly be looking forward to, as like I, I hit the '90s. Oof. I, I know like extricate is supposed to be a pretty big one, right?
2: Yeah, that's one of my favorites. That, I think was like that was probably the, the first or second fall record I got because I kind of fell in love with uh, Perverted by Language. Like my brother, who we've is always referenced on this show, just because he's such <laughs> a such a fundamental you know influence on in me about music. Uh, that was the first one I kind of fell in love with, and then I got uh, the singles record, and I got extricate. I think somewhere around the same time. And I think it's a fascinating really good record um, for the post Bricks era. And I enjoyed the infotainment scan pretty well. Um, and a couple of records when Bricks got back, I like those as well. So I think you're you're in for another a good run. I think by about by about are you missing winners when things start to get a little dicey for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um I like stuff from the unutterable um there's a period there in the 2000s where there's a lot of interesting stuff for me although I do agree with Bob's take on that on the yeah sort of last lineup they were very like I don't know regular old pub rock and not in a good way and not like 70s pub rock but like just guys that went down to the bar to play songs mm-hmm. um um so, but but interspersed, there's always interesting stuff, especially when yeah they they start doing like electronic stuff a lot. That's more.
1: what I'm like probably most looking forward to, like electronic ball, because I've really loved their kind of sure. dabblings yeah. with it that I've heard so far. Like LA is great. Hit the yeah. North of course. I feel uh, like falls see, into that period. category.
0: That's a classic, appropriate sort of electronic stuff in the late '90s, if that makes sense. So. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean Marky Smith plus Acid House sounds like a winning combination of my book.
0: Right, right. Very acid house. Well, he, yeah. He did stuff with the guys from Modest or not Modest Mouse. Uh <laughs> Mouse on Mars,
1: yeah. Oh, cool. I'm not super familiar with Mouse on Mars, but I I like I Mouse like bands Mars. that have collaborated with them in the past. Like yeah. I think like Stereolab has done some stuff with Mouse on Mars and I'm a big fan yeah. of them.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, they did – yeah, Mouse and Mars did a couple songs on uh, Dots and Loops, and they toured together after that. And then they – yeah, Marky Smith, they did a project called Von Sudenfed. That was the three of them. And then there's a record that one of the guys, uh, Jan St. Werner, uh, released last year, I think, that has – a big chunk of like samples Hopefully of Mark e Smith's voice yeah, on I'm it. Getting sort into, uh, anchoring I'm curious, Orange thing, so. Trevor, have you been yeah, checking any of the, uh, the work of that you did with I Michael think. Clark's dance yeah. company?
1: I haven't seen any videos or anything yet, but I am interested, so I'll probably like head to YouTube or yeah. something. There is some out yeah, there. Are.
2: It's yeah, fascinating we, stuff. I'd be really curious to, to, to read how you how you how you take to that stuff because super hunch was interesting. that he yeah. was even
1: like collaborating on like a ballet in the first place. Yeah, I feel like if I were if I were a member of the band and I had mentioned something about liking ballet, oh. that feels like it would be grounds for getting kicked out. of the band. <laughs> <laughs> like, Well, I didn't think he it, like once fire a guy for eating a salad or something. Like yeah. ballet yeah. doesn't feel too far there. off. No, you know I mean, Mark was a was an artist.
0: Well, I think that also Michael Clark uh, coming to him because they had already danced to a few fall songs probably helped.
2: I think so, yeah.
0: So it gives him, it gives Mark a little bit of a boost. So it's not just kind of low art, it's high art because some guy can dance to it with his ass hanging out of his pants or something.
1: <laughs> That's what most high art looks
0: like. Yeah, for the, you know. In the '80s,
2: at least, <laughs> I feel like that's what like suburban moms think about when they think about like what art is. Just, you know, people with their asses <laughs> hanging out of their pants and just dancing around. There's
1: something there's something that I love so much though about the hit priest lyrics, uh, particularly that he is not appreciated refrain showing up as like a central part of that performance. I love thinking mm-hmm. about like Marky Smith in the Fall circa nineteen eighty two doing Hex Induction Hour and writing the original Hit Priest and kind of probably viewing himself as like somebody who is not very appreciated and in a band that is not as appreciated as maybe he thinks it should be. Right. And then like cut to like six years later, he is the centerpiece of this very artsy ballet that is like selling out. And he's like there, (laughs) front center of the stage, screaming like that he is not appreciated. And there is a sense of like almost one vindication that comes with that. And also like, even though I am in this big play, this ballet, I'm still not as appreciated as I should be. Like, if you thought this was going to satisfy me, definitely not. I want even more.
0: Right. That actually reminds me of something that we've talked about a couple of times on here too. Um, and shoulder pads definitely works into this where it's like Mark's um, sort of self mythology. That he brings about within his songs. Um, so he's not a. So he's. So in Shoulder Pads, you, see, you know, it's MES and Shoulder Pads. And then uh, then there's Markle Sinkus, which was yep. related to uh, that whole Hey Luciani thing. Um, and then, you know, Hip Priest and things like that. So we've mentioned that a few times on here, just w- how he does that and trying to figure out, like, if there are, you know, other artists that kind of self mythologize besides people like johnny cash or you know whoever or i think i said once rem um when we brought it up i think that was during the markel sinkas episode but and then
1: more recent band that i feel like i can think of doing it fairly frequently would be the indie rock band car seat headrest are you familiar with them oh yeah yeah that that, that guy frequently kind of Name checks himself and his own songs.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Interesting.
1: The one I-, I always that, enjoy when artists do that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was going to say, and they got brought up last. Uh, the the episode that just came out was, but uh, drive by truckers do that kind of stuff all the time. Like they don't really, I don't know that they really mention their name in songs or anything, but they definitely sort of mythologize other bands and then mythologize the idea of being in a band, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of how I was thinking of REM doing that too. But uh, there's
1: that, there's that pavement song. Uh, I don't know if I can talk about pavement on a fall podcast, but there's a, (laughs) Uh, it's inevitable. Mythologizes REM. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Picket Fence one.
1: Yeah, War of the Picket Fence or something.
0: Yeah. <coughs> Unseen power, I believe. Of Unseen the
1: power fence. of the Picket Fence. Yeah.
0: Sorry. I think they, they they show up in fleeting glimpses on this podcast. So yeah, it's not a big deal.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's one of that's always something I want what I like talking about other people guests about the fall is like how they came to learn about them and how they kinda of stumbled into it and one of the things that kind of tipped me into loving them even more was on another mixtape for my brother. He put on uh, the Marky, the the song that on Cold Cut's first album that Marky Smith uh, does a vocal on, um, which is completely strange. And you know his vocals are cut up and and messed with. And it was uh, I mean by then I kind of you know heard the fall. Like I was I was I was into them. It's like this is on a completely different level. But I always wonder like. Anyone buying that record who knew about Coldcut's work from like, you know, working with Lisa Stansfield or, or the the Eric B and Rakim remix that they did, like, right. hearing that track,ing what the fuck are these guys doing? <laughs> and or like I said, that was definitely my reaction
1: to uh, first encountering Marquis Smith on that Gorillaz track.
2: Bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that t- totally makes sense.
2: Yeah, I want to know more Gorillas fans who have uh, become Fall fans thanks to that record. I, I, There's got to be some more out there.
1: <laughs> I'm, I feel like the number might be kind of small because speaking as somebody <laughs> who's very familiar with the opinions of the Gorillas fan base, that song is <laughs> one of the more polarizing ones. I'll bet. <laughs> oh,
0: really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting.
1: <laughs> but I mean, uh, if anything now, I don't think he was featured on it enough. Oh, Sure. Like, I think he's got, like, two lines that he reads, and I don't know, I want a full-blown fall <laughs> Gorillaz collab. It'll never happen now, but it would have been nice. Right. I do wonder if, like, whenever he does those collabs with other bands, if he considers those to be fall songs. Because, you know, he is famously quoted as saying, like, if it's me and your granny on bongos, then it's the fall. Right. So it, go- <laughs> it goes to assume that any band that plays with him is, at least for that track, in the fall.
2: Yeah, I'm always curious about I mean, this may get back into the Michael Clark thing about when he gets asked to, you know, be on a song by a band, like what is the what is the deciding factor for him to want to do you know, do a song with the inspiral carpets of all bands? I feel like I,
1: I've heard you guys mention like pontificate on this on the show before I'm sure and like one of you like threw out the guest like he probably just needed like a couple pounds for like a pint down at the pub <laughs> and that yeah. feels like very accurate you're know, like oh yeah this is a guerrilla band they'll pay me for this and I'll be able to get a beer yeah whatever exactly. I'll go in and there'll be a
2: couple hours <laughs> like Elastica well, you know, well just... they've ripped me off enough I'll do one of their songs sure right
0: right I was gonna say there's a long history of you know like Lightning Hopkins going in to do a few songs to go buy himself a bottle of whiskey or something so yeah why not sure I mean, <laughs> mark mark needed to redo the roof or something so he's like all right yeah <laughs> it's hard telling man. but uh but yeah i mean definitely in spiral carpets always comes to mind when i'm like what he did what
2: um i i just feel like that was like the last manchester band he would have worked with you know I, right yeah they yeah yeah but I, I think the other Whatever. one that really sticks out for me If we're going to talk about Marky Smith collaborations And I've ta- I've, th- I've been thinking about like writing uh, About this a little bit um, Is he did a song with Edwin Collins Oh really? Uh, he was like, you know, the, the, if anyone doesn't know He's the, the front man for this band Orange Juice This very uh, well-loved Post-punk band And he did a, a record in 97 And a song on it called 70's Night That Marky Smith is like, you know, featured on it
1: That feels like a logical collaboration for me, though, based on, like, what I know about Orange Juice.
2: Oh, you know, yeah.
1: It's not like he's, like, it's not like he's doing a song with Morrissey or something. Right. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's what I'm saying. Like, that would have been, that would have been the duet of a lifetime to get those two on stage together. Oh, my goodness. Uh, or
1: throw both of them in a band with the uh with the Gallagher brothers and you get a whole <laughs> Manchester supergroup going.
2: Yeah, now there's a, there's something you should probably look up at some point is if they have any opinions about the fall the Gallagher brothers. Oh, I would
1: love to read that. Yeah. I'm sure they didn't like them
2: at all cuz they were big Stone Roses guys, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know the Beatles obviously and Mark didn't have many good feelings about the Beatles.
0: Uh yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about shoulder pads or anything. Um, no, I, any I, any anybody got anything else to
2: add or i'm with trevor this is one of my this is a favorite fall song of mine and i love the having the full five and a half minute version and i wish it was twice as long that's how much i like the sound of this song
1: <laughs> yeah i could see them doing i could like what is that really long song on friends experiment uh bremen knocked yeah i could i could i would enjoy seeing a bremen knocked like oh. shoulder pads absolutely it would probably just get. It would probably get just as annoying by the end, but I would I'd be here for it.
0: I need to listen to Friends' Experiment more. I don't, for some reason, I just never have. I mean, I know kind of what is on there, but yeah, I'll, I'll have to. That's the one with their.
1: Uh, that's the one with the Spinal Tap rip off on it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. See, I didn't even know that until we started doing this podcast, and Bob was like, "Oh, there's that song where they just rip off Spinal Tap." I'm like, "What?" And yeah, so it's, uh, it was—it was one of those things. I mean, you know, when, when when they put out 50 albums, you're gonna miss a few. Yeah, yeah definitely.
2: <laughs> That's a really nice reissue of Friends' Experiment that uh, Beggars Archive just put out. So. Oh yeah, no, I just yeah, that saw came that. out like
1: a week ago or something. Yeah, right?
2: very recently. Yeah. yeah. And it's got, yeah, it's got like everything you'd want from that era, including the Beatles cover.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. That's a good reason to track it down. <laughs> Man. Anyway. Um, yeah. I I, 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 like shoulder pads. I like this era and I just wanted to say thanks again, Trevor, for being willing to come on and, and talk about all this stuff. And uh, so what are you still doing your podcast? What's the name of your podcast?
1: Uh, the Gorillas podcast is called Hallelujah Monkeys with a Z. <laughs> okay. It's kind. It's kind of dormant. We pop up well, at the moment. We're just kind of popping up whenever the band does something. They did just release an album, so we put out an, a new episode last week. Uh, oh, if anybody, cool. if anybody is you know a Gorillas fan, go check that out. I think we do good work over there. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I and my co-host also do. Uh, we've recently launched another podcast uh, cool. where we've been reviewing albums that received best new music from Pitchfork Media 10 ah. years ago and kind of see it <laughs> That's called nice. uh, Pretentious, the best new music 10 oh, years later.
2: That's perfect.
1: We've, cool. uh, we've talked about The Age of Odds by Sufjan Stevens. We've done Halcyon Digest by Deer Hunter and The Suburbs by Arcade Fire. Wow. Next month we'll be putting out an episode on My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. Oh, so I'm looking great forward to that. To if you're into pitchfork Core and blog rock, go check that out. Pretentious.
0: Nice. My, really exce- my wife? Oh, go ahead. No, 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 please. <laughs> I was just going to say my wife really likes that Kanye album.
1: Me too. It's a why. classic. Yeah. I gave, never, it, I gave it a 10, 10 years ago.
0: I never listened to it. I probably should. I don't. I, I'm one of those people that just never got Kanye. Sorry. That's I, I don't
2: apologize I'm for. Yeah. Nothing to do apologize for. It's a um, shame we'll never get a Kanye West Marquis Smith collaboration. <laughs> sure, that would those, be wild. Those two would have gotten along famously, I think. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah, probably.
2: I was um, going to say I, I am looking forward to uh, the return of the Gorillas podcast once the Gorillas movie is released. Oh yeah, I
1: mean the Gorillas movie that they've been supposedly working on and in, in some form or another for the past like twenty years. Whenever yeah. <laughs> that comes up, I need to like I. I need to remind myself, not to hold my breath on it, but (laughs) God God willing, Netflix picks it up or whatever. Yeah. We get it sometime soon.
0: Uh, Trevor, you should, um, if you want, tell everybody what your Twitter uh, name is so they can follow your uh, journey through fall songs as well.
1: Yeah, of course. I've got two Twitter accounts, actually. There's my, there's kind of like my business account, which is uh, the handle for that one is T-R-V-R-K-R-T-H. It's Trevor Ickrath with all the vowels taken out. It's my name. Uh. And I like post about the podcasts and I do stuff over there but my like my main kind of less businessy account which actually now has more followers than my uh, <laughs> official one because of the fall thread that's a uh, distaste for math all one word
0: okay and dis-taste. I've got my
1: fall thread pinned right at the top of it so it's Perfect. right there if you check it out
0: nice I think there's like
1: 150 posts in it by this point or something I I've, I've oh really really going through it and i will continue to do so
0: good luck with all that and the plan
1: listen. is to the plan is to try and listen to everything by the end of the fall the autumn but uh, i don't know if i'm gonna hit that mark because i still have quite a way to go
2: right and you well, still have a cross-country move that to do as well yeah. yeah
0: that's i was gonna say that's that's lots of good listening time yeah while you yeah a car, that's so. a fair
2: point We'll see how it goes. I hope, hope your companion on the trip is a fall fan. That's all I got to say. If he <laughs> isn't currently, he will be by the, by the time it's over. <laughs> or will jump out on the highway somewhere between here yeah, and Yeah, I was going to say, say Dakota. One or the other. One or the other. Play
0: Utah.